Welcome to the Giving Back is Dead podcast brought to you by Scott Stover. Giving Back is Dead is a progressive open forum for discussing next-gen giving to the arts and sustainable practices for nonprofits. For more information on Scott, myself, and our advisory services, please visit scottstoverinc.com. For today's episode, I'm talking with Vajra Kingsley, our co-producer and founder of VHE.art, about what we learned in the 24 podcasts we've already produced and the themes we will address in the coming year. Welcome, Scott. I'm so happy to have you here at Mason Loon as we begin to kick off a new season of programming. Uh, I hope this wonderful bright light suits our uh, conversation of a year in review after over 26 conversations focused on the future of philanthropy in the arts, interviewing the next generation. And I really wanted to um, hear some of your insights after interviewing a range of next generation leaders within philanthropy, from Anna Raginskaya to Abby Pucker. You've had some amazing recent conversations that you hosted at Offscreen this year in Paris with Russell Tovey and Andrea Emmelife. Uh, along with Lawrence Van Hagen. So I'm very excited to hear, after all of these discussions, what were some of the breakthrough uh, ideas, concepts, um, new ways of approaching philanthropy that you, as such a strategic advisor to so many different institutions, have come up with after all of these uh, insightful uh, and, and hopefully um, you know, forward-thinking uh, individuals? Well, I must say it's been a an inspirational journey and i think the i think it confirmed the idea the initial idea as you know was to have in-depth one-on-one conversations with individuals who are doing things that can make a difference in terms of giving to the arts and in particular focusing on next generation but i must say you have also been an inspiration to me <laughs> and you know at times whatever has been happening it has been a re- big plus to have you in my life and to encourage me to continue doing this well I, I think that there is definitely a lot to be said for those of us that are on the sidelines identifying those individuals that we find inspiring and look to um, as we're advising our clients on institutional matters or where we think philanthropy is being impactful within culture. So I think it is uh, apropos to this conversation um, to actually expand upon some of those conversations that both of us have been really excited to understand how these individuals are operating and, and what components from a multitude of these individuals can we put forward for the public to better make decisions and understand what what is the future of impactful cultural investment? I also must say that you've been, you've been uh, essential in being able to identify people who were appropriate to have these conversations. So otherwise, without you being involved and being involved in choosing the people, this wouldn't have happened. I think that fundamentally, the way that my generation, the baby boomers and older generation, have structured giving to the arts has essentially been focused on creating an elitist social club. So it has been an elitist social club, which is completely dependent on, I say, on how much money you can give. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is something that worked for a long time. And I believe that I believe sincerely that the next generation 
is focused on making the world a better place. And making the world a better place doesn't fit with just joining another elitist social club based on how much money you can contribute. And I think that, I think if I'm trying to look at the general themes of these conversations, which is, is kind of, it's a little bit difficult to just tell what happened, but I think, I think the, the theme is inequality. I think this is something that comes out through all of the conversations. I think the next generation, people who can make a difference are acutely aware of inequality. And the problem that we have, those of us who believe in the arts and believe in the impact of the arts and the relevance of the art in our lives, it, it's um, we have to make the case as to how the arts can address inequality. And I think that that's really the fundamental issue. So that if you want, if we look a little bit, we can talk a little bit about the conversations with those who you just mentioned. Abby Pucker was one of the first conversations that we had. And I admit it wasn't my first choice because she is um, from extreme privilege. And I guess she will be third or fourth generation billionaire. And I was thinking more, I wanted to talk to entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs and how they were thinking. And we talked to Abby and she was among the more inspirational people with whom I had a conversation. And I think quickly, if I summarize what I can remember as important and a theme that marked this whole year is that she wants to focus on underrepresented communities. Mm -hmm. She absolutely, you know, she is not interested in anything but that. So she is terribly innovative as how she can address underrepresented communities and is open to ideas of in, from institutions as to how that can happen, but underrepresented communities. She is also terribly interested in another theme that I found throughout these conversations in being able to assist nonprofit initiatives, nonprofit initiatives in the arts in creating independent revenue streams. And I found this is, a, this is a theme throughout the conversations, which is we want to be able to wean these nonprofits away from constantly asking wealthy people for a check. So what interests this next generation, is there some way that we can create a revenue stream? And if you had a revenue stream, then you're not as dependent on individual checks or donors. So for instance, one of the things we were working on, the idea we were working on with Abby, was it was talking about a, um, a, a basically a digital platform for women artists is what it was. And Abby was interested in assisting them in creating some kind of revenue relative to selling information and images. So she would have been interested, it didn't happen, but I think it showed the thinking process. She would have been interested in supporting creating the model, creating the model, creating the tech. And that's the th one of the themes of this year. Then if we talk about um, Anna Raganskaya, and Anna is, um, is remarkable in a variety of ways. And one of her themes is education, arts education, as a vector of social mobility. 
And what she talked about was her own story. And she came to the United States, I think she was four, year old, four years old, from Ukraine. And when she was in high school, she went to public school in New York. And she, um, her mother enrolled her in high school in an arts education program at the Metropolitan Museum. And it had extreme diversity. And that really marked her for her life. And so she's completely convinced about education. Education is another thing. What did you take from the conversations? Why don't you tell me? What do you remember? I think one of the questions that I think will be of utter interest for 2024 and the individuals that we continue this search for is the connection between uh, technology, data, and making more um, informed decisions on where funding should go. And I think that that is a, a large component of the kind of entrepreneurial uh, philanthropist in wanting to be aware of where their money is going and how it's being used and feeling like this isn't passive uh, funds that they're giving, that they're really a part of understanding what they're going towards. And I think that's something around giving back is dead's uh, actual education to its community is something I'm really excited to also hear how you're reframing the way you're thinking about speaking to tech specialists, engineers, developers on these actual um, tech products that can be built for philanthropic spaces. I know that's something you're very curious on given the nature of your advisory work. And I think that it's also something that individuals like Abby and Anna um, given their, their own uh, interest in creating opportunities for higher impact investing and really understanding where is that impact, um, I think that's going to come out of data. And that's definitely something that I've heard um, from individuals like Anna who are more um, on the conservative and, and cautious side when it comes to just throwing money at amazing projects, but really understanding you know, who is this supporting and, and who's really benefiting from it. Uh, I also found it really interesting seeing um, individuals like Andrea and Russell speaking to um, a, a kind of desire to, to educate and offer support on a wider level that I think we become slightly narrow-minded in understanding that, you know, feeding people and creativity go hand in hand and that sometimes there is a an emphasis on realizing art needs to also rethink um, the spaces that it's entering. Uh, and I think that's a huge component, you know, similar to Anna's story. Mine was going to the opera and going to Lincoln Center. And those small, formidable moments that you get really do impact the way that I think you believe in giving back as an adult. Lots of issues there. <laughs> And of course, it's a, you know, I think that the, certainly this theme of impact, impact and data relative to impact is a real change from the baby boomer generation. You know, basically we were, and that's one of the themes that everybody has talked to me about, which was the traditional ask was always, we have an extraordinary program. We have, look at this genius director and give. You know, and there is no data. And I think today, all of all of the people, all of the next generation who are interested in giving, want some kind of impact data. 
They want some kind of impact data. And traditionally, when you talk to the older generation about arts generating impact data, they say it's impossible for the arts. And I always tell them there is always some kind of data, data measurement that we can find. And if you look, you can find some kind of data measure. So I think that's definitely a clear theme. In terms of data tech industry being able to assist the, um, the nonprofit art world, you know, that is something that I want to work on. And I've been trying to work on it. I've been trying to work on it. I saw since, since I think, 2017. I've been trying to find, I think there must be what, this comes back to a conversation that actually we had with Stephen Riley as well. And what it's about is you have these particularly legacy institutions that have fixed assets, fixed assets for which there is no revenue, but the fixed assets represent content and storytelling. And I'm convinced that we can, we can get the tech industry to be able to capture something, the storytelling, the asset value in these assets that aren't being used. So that's something that I do want to work with. And then finally, I also want, as you know, this next year, I want to work on some kind of aggregate data about philanthropy to the arts. That the only real study, instead of just talking in large terms and general themes, because I see the themes from these 26 conversations, I'd like some hard data to back up the themes that I'm seeing. And because, you know, the only real data that we have is generated by, there's a Giving USA study. And the Giving USA study is generated from the 990s, the declaration, which is good. And I see, and actually I was thinking about this, as you know, last week in Miami, I was uh, interviewed by the art newspaper, and it was about the recent Deloitte art tactic report. And it's, all of the conclusions, it was mostly talking about next-gen giving in general, not only to the arts. And all of it was based on surveys with interested parties, family offices, wealth managers, some collectors. And, you know, I wasn't convinced by the conclusions. Because you're talking with interested parties and you're getting a, a biased answer. So what I would like to be able to find, as you know, I'm trying to work on this, is some kind of data models where we can look at trends, and trends particularly in terms of giving to the arts that we don't have yet. So that's one of the things that I would this like to work It feels like a call to action for 2024 on finding the, the proper tech partner to really explore this. And you know, I think similar to Art Basel's report done by Claire McAndrews, there has to be a partner who can both think creatively enough and who has a kind of background in understanding Absolutely. the nuances of how to approach something like this. So I think we, we certainly have our work cut out um, for us. And I do think that as this community and conversation grows, um, there are many individuals that are not within our uh, immediate network and hopefully this becomes more of an open conversation where individuals will actually engage and reach out to us to, to further these conversations as we build our kind of inventory of, of information on this, on this really important topic for the arts. Well, actually, as you know, that you um, pushed me to participate in an art and tech conference last week in Miami. And actually, it was quite interesting, as you know. I, I was uncomfortable because I know nothing about, about tech. And, um, and I was intrigued by the interest in tech people in the arts. And there does seem to be a willingness to get involved. 
And I must admit, even I someone contacted me this morning from the conference, <laughs> and they're suggesting going back to your previous question about um, impact, which I hadn't mentioned. Another theme is that that the next gen likes social impact artists. So this social impact artist, I think it's a really it's an area that it, because it's clearly involved in making the world a better place, and you have some kind of impact. So I was, as you know, I'm talking to a social impact artist at the moment who does large-scale social impact work and wants the work to be able to travel and wants some kind of structure to be able to support that. And one of the persons from the tech conference that talked to me after the conference, and I had this email this morning, is interested in creating a DAO to support artist initiatives. And I'm th I think that this kind of um, social impact artists, large scale, and installations with travel in various places could be a, a perfect test for having a DAO that supports her art. Well, I think we have our, <laughs> our first two speakers for next year. I think this would be a brilliant conversation to actually be able to uh, work out in real time. Uh, the artist that I know you have in mind is is perfect for this kind of a conversation, and and I think she would be delighted to be a part of kind of working these kind of social and cultural components out in real time. It's a gift to the larger community, and it also I think is a part of her work. I think so too. That's why, and I think she would. She would not. Yeah. And so also, stay it's a, tuned to know who we're talking about. <laughs> also, what was interesting that I had this email this morning from the tech person who said to me they want to follow up and they want to create help me create a DAO for artists. <laughs> so, in kind of uh, reviewing a year, I would also say you mentioned Stephen Riley and the work that he is doing, which I think is, um, in a much larger way, another component of re-exploring the museum and, and that much larger um, institutional component. I think the big buckets that we have looked at are individuals trying to change the larger institutional models, and then individuals like Abby Pucker, um, also Allison Berg is another individual who have smaller foundations but are looking to be uh, equally impactful um, with their vision um, in these very targeted ways. Um, that are not trying to restructure these much larger uh, decade-old systems of giving. Uh, so I think it's it'll be interesting to see now with more of a, a, a year two thought on the applications of what we can focus on that is being created, that needs to be created um, for this space so that we actually can be innovative. And I think the product side of this business around technology is going to be the future of really understanding that big shift um, and, and getting individuals to, to really see the impact and believe it and not just feel that this is uh, you know, an old model of lip service. Well, I do, I do think that one of, one of the problems, and we've discussed this extensively, and I think maybe it's your interest in following this, this particular project, is that the whole art world has, been, has become over-focused on the commercial side. And all we hear about is this artwork sells for X. This artwork is worth Y. That's all, and it's like the whole art world is only focused on that. And even, I think I mentioned to you, I was talking to a young um, Asian entrepreneur who was here, 
and who had just sold his tech company and wants to get involved in the art world. And he came to talk to me about it. And all he talked about was how much the art was worth and how much money he could make. And I finally asked him, does the art interest you? <laughs> I think that's also a huge issue of people being so separated from the actual magic. Like there's a reason there are cult followings of artists because they've either been able to be close enough to the artist to understand that that canvas is a ripple effect of their ideas. And that's why, you know, entire periods have been so dedicated to individuals that have this capacity to communicate in a way that aligns individuals, that moves them. And yet it's become overshadowed over the last, you know, 30 plus years as a market tool. So people before falling yeah. in love with the actual art, they fall in love with it as a tool, which listen, there are plenty of amazing individuals that are top 200 collectors that have come into it from a market asset yeah. and have actually shifted. So it's really about understanding how do you how do you make sure you don't burn those individuals that do come in from a market perspective and we lose them because in the five to 10 years they've spent in it, all they're doing is kind of uh, engaging on the market side and not actually getting to experience those reasons that we do believe art can change humanity. But you know, if you if you remember, you um, I think maybe not you, but someone did not like that I had a lively conversation with Russell Tovey, because one of the um, topics that um, makes that bothers me is that people think that by buying art of, from emerging artists that they're giving to the arts, which was one of the things that, you know, I told him, I don't agree with that, <laughs> you know, and I think what we have to do is support structures. If we're really giving, we have to support structures, and the gesture of buying art from an emerging artist is essentially a gesture wherein the collector or the person who buys the art believes they're going to make money because the artist is going to become important. And I think that's the main motivation. And that's different than creating real structures. I agree, but I also would say there's more connective tissue, especially with someone like a Russell who is aligned with galleries and who a gallerist might walk into his home and say, oh, who's that artist that you just acquired? And then all of a sudden that gallerist is actually in the, the studio of that artist, I think there, there is an informal structure. And the reason that it's an informal structure is because the institutions aren't staying uh, abreast enough to help these individuals and meet them in a way where not only can they feel innovative in supporting uh, an organic structure on their own, but an institution can meet them in a place where they feel like, oh, I would rather support the institution and support the emerging artist in a way where I feel like both my interests and the ecosystem's needs are, are being reinforced. And that is the work that I believe we're doing because there are a lot of people that when you don't have something that meets the needs you're looking for, they'll create it on their own. And that's what's happening. And I think that's why it's so important to interview individuals like Russell who have the capacity and confidence to make his own models of what giving back looks like for him in the arts. And how can we then take those examples and bring them to the institutional models to say, this is, this is, these are ways that we should be thinking of reshaping the way that we're engaging with individuals who want to support the arts in the future. I, I have the pretension of saying 
that I think if I had the opportunity of advising Russell as to his philanthropic activities, that he would have greater impact. I think everyone <laughs> that is open to learning how their capacity can be benefited, and I think that, again, that's the point of conversations like Absolutely. these, so that we can educate and help support individuals that want to be innovative, that want to be on the ground um, with their decisions. And that's why I think another year of conversations is just what the art world needs, given the state of the overly saturated market interests and underappreciated value of, of, of artwork from a social and political standpoint. It's a pleasure working with you, It's Roger. always <laughs> such a pleasure. <laughs> Be sure to check out our latest podcast and subscribe to Giving Back is Dead.